0: I'm Kathy with a K. And I'm Kathy with a C. And this is Season 2 of Killer Destinations. Today we are returning to the site of our first destination, Newport Beach, California. Newport Beach was open to commerce in 1870 when Captain Samuel S. Dunnels sailed into the bay in search of Newport facilities. Dunnels developed Newport Landing and it became a lumber terminal in 1873. The Newport Beach Pier was built in 1940 on the same site as the original McFadden's Wharf and the city was developed around sport and commercial fishing, yachting and beach activities. A distinguishing feature of Newport Beach is the eight small islands that make up the Newport Harbor community. All of the islands are residential only areas with the exception of Balboa Island, which is home to a number of businesses, the Balboa Fun Zone Arcade and the historic Balboa Pavilion. The city is also where you can find The Wedge, a world-famous surf spot known for its amazing waves. Newport Beach is mostly made up of upper-middle class and wealthy residents, and home prices rank 8th in the nation. But in 2012, a shocking tale of murder in the wealthy enclave of Newport Coast proved the adage, money can't buy happiness.
1: On October 10th, 2012, a neighbor saw the two youngest Chadwick boys, then ages 9 and 12, waiting at a bus stop for their dad to pick them up. The boys went to a small private school, which several other children in their gated Newport Coast community also attended. There was a small bus to take the students to and from school, and the bus stopped in the middle of their neighborhood. The boy's father, Peter Chadwick, was usually the one to pick them up, but their mom, Kui Chu, was there when Peter could not. Their neighbor, a woman named Gwen, who was at the bus stop to pick up her child, noticed the boys and asked if their parents were running late. The 12-year-old had a cell phone and said he called both of his parents' cell phones and their home phones several times, but no one answered. Gwen assumed the boys' parents probably got busy and lost track of time, so she drove them to their house. The front door was locked, and they did not have a key, So they knocked and rang the doorbell, but the parents did not answer the door. As a kid, we never had keys to the house ever. Our house was always unlocked. Even as an adult, for many years, I didn't have a key to my house.
0: You actually haven't had one for that long, have you? I
1: just freaking got one when we got a new door. (laughs) Like how sad. I'm so inclined to leave the door unlocked anyway, but now I'm getting safer.
0: The interesting thing that I'd read, Kath, about the boys is that the reason they didn't have keys is because they never entered the house without one of their parents with them. Parents took them everywhere or picked them up from everywhere.
1: Gwen also noticed several packages on the front porch, which she thought was odd because their mother was a stay-at-home mom and their dad worked from home. So Gwen took the boys to her house, got them started on their homework, fed them dinner, and got them set up to spend the night. After that, she called the Newport Beach Police Department to explain the situation and asked them to do a welfare check.
0: Peter Chadwick was born in Britain to a wealthy family, and after moving to the U.S., he became a naturalized citizen and held dual citizenship. He worked for his father's business as a real estate investor and also oversaw the properties the company owned in Orange County. He was described by neighbors as a quiet, soft-spoken man who did not socialize a lot at neighborhood functions. Kui Chu, who went by QC, was from Malaysia and also from a wealthy family. She and Peter had moved to the gated community of Newport Coast as Peter's work became more successful. She was described by friends and neighbors as smart, talented, outgoing, very organized and disciplined, and, above all else, devoted to her children. Peter and QC met when they were students at Arizona State University in Tempe and were married for nearly two decades. In addition to the two sons at home, they also had a 15-year-old son. He attended a private boarding school in Ojai, California, about two hours north of their home in Newport Beach. All three boys were very polite and well-behaved. After the neighbor's request for a welfare check, a Newport Beach police officer was sent to check the house while police dispatch continued to try and call Peter and QC on their cell and home phones. Dispatch then called family and relatives. And Kathy didn't want me to put that in there, but I think that's important for you to know. It's irrelevant. Objection, non-responsive. Exactly.
1: See, you're getting pretty good at that. I know. I know. You're a detective and a lawyer. It's so wonderful.
0: I could have advised on Legally Blonde. You, you are Legally Blonde. <laughs> Dispatch then called local hospitals and trauma centers, but were told there was no one there who matched their names or physical descriptions.
1: At 7.45 p.m. on October 10th, 2012, Newport Beach officers entered the Chadwick home. As they began to look inside, the house appeared immaculate with vacuum lines in the carpet, which my mother used to love, by the way.
0: Oh, my mom did too. Yeah. The wall-to-wall carpet before the hardwood thing. Totally. So aside from the
1: carpet lines, everything appeared very well organized to the officer's eyes until they reached the kitchen. There was food containers left out on the counter that looked like somebody was in the process of preparing meals and salads. Investigators also noticed the door from the house to the garage was ajar, where they saw a safe that was open and empty. When officers went upstairs, the master bathroom had a bath mat that looked like it had been pushed aside and a towel on the floor. A vase that had been on the ledge around the bathtub was broken and there was a reddish mark inside the tub and a few small drops of blood on the wall next to the tub. QC's Toyota minivan was still in the garage, but Peter's Lexus SUV was missing. Detectives quickly got warrants for cell phone records and found that Peter's cell phone was turned off at about 4:30 p.m. that same day. They found QC's cell phone on the charger in the bathroom. Next to it was her wedding ring and her wallet. I like how they said on the charger.
0: I know, instead of plugged in.
1: Exactly, because they did back then have...
0: You actually physically had to put it into a charger.
1: Exactly. Since Peter's Lexus was not equipped with tracking technology, Newport Beach police detectives contacted the U.S. Border Patrol and confirmed that his Lexus had not crossed into Mexico.
0: Mexico is only a couple of hours south of Newport Beach. So if something had happened and somebody was trying to flee... It's an obvious escape route. Exactly. Yeah. The first break Newport Beach detectives got came in just before dawn the next day, which was October 11th. Peter Chadwick was at a gas station in San Diego. This was about 100 miles south of their home in Newport Beach and just four miles north of the Mexican border, and he called 911. Video from a convenience store showed Peter walk in and say to the clerk, can you call 911? Someone killed my wife. So we're going to play you a portion of that call. What you will be hearing is Peter Chadwick's voice, and this recording came from the Newport Beach Police Department's podcast, Countdown to Capture. An emergency. Yeah, my wife, my wife's dead. But... Okay, so where
1: exactly is she? What? Where is she? They took her. They took her. Who took her? The guy broke into my house. He he drove me here. He had a friend they, they just gone. they've gone in a pickup truck. Okay, so your wife is dead.
0: She's dead. Okay, I she killed in the her, house? And they they, then they took they, her corpse. Yeah, they 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 killed, killed her uh, yesterday. They killed her yesterday? Yeah, we, 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 we've
1: been driving uh, in, in Newport Beach.
0: San Diego police officers arrived at the Arco gas station, from which the 911 call was made, and spoke with Peter. Peter told them that the day prior, at 11 a.m., he was at one of his family's properties overseeing some renovation work. A man named Juan approached him and asked for work. Peter told him he did not need help at any of the properties he managed, but he did have something that needed painting at his house and asked Juan if he was willing to do it. Juan agreed and drove with Peter to his house and Peter got him set up to paint the railing of their indoor staircase. Peter told police he then went to his home office to get some work done, but after just a few minutes, he heard his wife QC screaming. He ran upstairs and saw Juan leaning over QC while she was in the bathtub, and he was strangling her. Peter said he tried to stop Juan, but he was too strong. When QC stopped moving, Juan held him off with a two-inch pocket knife. Then Peter said Juan ordered him to grab the green blanket off their bed and help him roll QC in it. Then the two of them took her body downstairs and put her in the back of the SUV. Peter was ordered to get in the driver's seat and just start driving.
1: Peter said after driving around for more than 16 hours, Juan called someone named Chi. They both spoke in Spanish, so Peter did not understand what was being said. Juan then told Peter to go to a nearby gas station. Chi arrived in a green Chevy truck with a camper shell. Juan and Chi put QC's body in the pickup truck and left, telling Peter they were going to Mexico. So Peter is telling San Diego authorities about this. And so they realize the crime happened in Newport Beach. So they contact Newport Beach detectives who arrive at the scene and accompany Peter to the San Diego police station. There they took evidence swabs and hair samples from Peter. They also noticed scratches on his neck. This is when they had him take his shirt off and they found more scratches on his upper arms and torso and a bite mark on his forearm. Newport Beach detectives then looked in Peter's Lexus and found traces of blood in the back of the car and on the back bumper. Newport Beach detectives then drove Peter back to the Newport Beach police station where he was further interviewed. Detectives questioned Peter about statements made during the 911 call as well as video surveillance they had obtained in the preceding 16 hours. Surveillance video in the Chadwick's gated enclave shows Peter's SUV leaving the gates at about 1.30 p.m., which was two and a half hours later than he told the 911 operator that his wife was killed, and the video did not show anyone else in the vehicle as it left the neighborhood. Peter also had to pass through a toll on the 73 freeway from Newport Beach to San Diego And again, video surveillance cameras on the toll road did not reveal anyone else inside the vehicle with Peter. In addition, when police searched the Lexus, they found a suitcase in the back seat with men's clothes and toiletries that looked like it had been packed in a hurry. All of the clothes were Peter's size. A report filed by one of the detectives who questioned Peter said, Quote, it became evident that the facts as presented by Peter were not only unsubstantiated, but lacked plausibility, end quote. It was clear to investigators that QC was dead and Peter was involved.
0: On October 11, 2012, just six hours after Peter made the 911 call from San Diego, Newport Beach detectives placed him under arrest. This was based on the evidence found at the Chadwick home, the scratches on his neck and body, and inconsistencies told to investigators. Now, Kath, this is a good time to bring in the actual 911 call, not just the part that we played. Right. Because the inconsistencies came from what he told the 911 dispatcher versus what he then told police.
1: Yeah, exactly. He told
0: the nine one one operator that
1: somebody broke into his house.
0: Right. And then told police officers that it was somebody who he met at a job site and brought him home to paint. Exactly. But the funny thing was, in some of what he said, Kathy, you could tell this nine one one dispatcher <laughs> was just a little she suspicious. Was like,
1: uh-uh. Bro, <laughs> no, it's not working with me. Some might call
0: her sassy sarcastic. She was sassy. Yeah, we could have been friends with her. So I have a copy of the transcript and Pretty early on the 911 call that we played for you, Peter told the dispatcher that they had killed his wife QC yesterday. Right. And the woman responded, They killed her yesterday. Right. And he's like, Well, we've been driving in Newport Beach. And so her response was, Hold on, let me get my supervisor on the phone. And you hear kind of like a beep or a ring, like if she's kind of transferring it. And right. you hear somebody pick up and she said, uh, He said his wife is dead. Right. And Peter said, My wife is dead. And somebody broke into the house and uh, stole, um, took her. Right. But then it goes on where she's talking about this guy Juan. And she's like, Juan, how do you know Juan? And He's like, um, I picked him up and took him. I picked him up to look at some painting work at the house. And when did it happen? Yesterday, middle of the day. The operator said yesterday, middle of the day. When did she die? And Peter's like yesterday, middle of the day. Where is she now? They have her body. Operator, who has her body? He said Juan and she So the operator said when she died at 11 o'clock, they took her. Yeah, yeah. They made me put her in the car. How do you know she's dead? She drowned. She drowned. What? The operator's like, huh? (laughs) And he said her body was stiff even. I've been driving with a, they said they were going to cut her up. She said, what's your name?
1: Yeah. You know, she's like, let me get the pertinent details because we got to get somebody there ASAP. Exactly.
0: So she said, what's your name? And he said, Peter Chadwick. Mm-hmm, I know that. Mm-hmm. So f- yeah, that was weird. Like it was the, like a weird mm-hmm. humming noise. Yeah. And the 911 operator responded by saying, are you on any kind of medication, sir? <laughs> 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 and his response was not heavy ones. Right.
1: <laughs> Which leaves a lot to the imagination. It but really, really yeah, does. Exactly. The operator was like, "Okay,"
0: And so she concluded it by, "Okay, but this happened yesterday at 11 and you're now calling us at 530 in the morning. And Peter's response was, I know, I want you to get him. They're here. And I assume he was talking about the police. Exactly. And so the operator said, well, then go talk to them. And that ended the call. You could hear in this woman's voice where she was like, honey pie, you come up with a better story than this because this isn't flying.
1: (laughs) Completely true. You know, she hung up and was like with her comrades was like, a guy who murdered his wife just called me.
0: And he's trying to make it look like he didn't do it. Right. (laughs) So Kath, detectives also said during questioning, Peter was kind of all over the place emotionally, or at least he was acting that way. One of the detectives said that he would cover his face and act like he was crying and be like, (gasps) and he would take his hands away and there were no tears. Mm. There were no red eyes. There was nothing at all. They also said he would act jittery and anxious, but then he would go quiet and sullen and just not say anything. And then when he went over his story of what happened to QC, all the details were different every time they asked him to repeat what he said. But the most interesting thing to detectives was during all of these interviews, he never once asked about his children. Oh, my goodness. Can
1: you believe that? No normal father would go through an interview without asking about his kids.
0: So the Chadwick parents disappeared on a Wednesday. And the next morning, oblivious to the fact that their father had been arrested for their mother's murder, all three of the boys went to class not knowing what had happened to their parents. But that afternoon, detectives arrived at the two schools... One was in Newport Beach, the other was in Ojai, as we mentioned, and took them out of class and then brought the oldest son to Orange County. The boys were reunited about 9 p.m., and QC's brother David, with whom the boys were close, was also there. He told the boys of their mother's death and their father's arrest. As you would expect, the boys were devastated. They
1: will remember that moment the rest of their lives when they're pulled out of class. Yes. So once Peter was arrested, the $1 million scheduled bail amount for murder was imposed. The Orange County District Attorney's Office immediately requested that Peter's bail be revoked. The declaration in support of the motion said, quote, The investigation shows the suspect has access to large amounts of money, possibly millions, and would be able to post the scheduled bail. Based on the investigation, the suspect's willingness to abandon his children and his activities, I believe that if the defendant is granted bail, he will likely attempt to further conceal evidence of the crime and or flee the country to evade prosecution. End quote. The declaration concluded with a request to revoke Peter Chadwick's bail so that he had to remain in custody until his case went to trial. However, the judge denied the request. At the time, Peter did not have a criminal record, nor was he deemed a flight risk due to him having three minor children, owning a home in Newport, and having substantial ties to the community. However, the judge did agree to increase the bail to $1.5 million. At the arraignment on Monday, October 15, 2012, Peter Chadwick pleaded not guilty to the murder of his wife, Cui Chu Chadwick. At that hearing, the Orange County District Attorney's Office informed the judge that they would be adding a special enhancement, murder for financial gain, which would have required the judge to revoke Peter's bail. So, Kath, at this point, they want this guy in jail. They have a bad sense that he's going to flee. They think that if they add an enhancement, the judge will revoke bail and leave him in the pokey pending trial. So, what happens is the prosecutors attempt to garner evidence over the next couple months to justify this enhancement, but they were unable to do so. As a result, the judge reduced Peter's bail back to a million dollars from the 1.5 million, but required him to turn over his UK and US passports. Once that happened, Peter posted bond, and I'm sure it was lickety-split, and he was out of jail before Christmas.
0: So a week went by and detectives had been unable to locate QC Chadwick's body. According to a 2020 special episode in October of 2022, so just a couple of weeks ago, former Orange County prosecutor Matt Murphy, who was the prosecutor during the case, said that seven days after QC went missing and was presumed dead, Peter Chadwick's attorney called Newport Beach Police to tell them Peter would reveal her location. He told police QC's body was in a dumpster in a place called Wildcat Canyon in Lakeside, California, which is in San Diego County. Lakeside had a lot of undeveloped land, and while there were some homes, they were very spread apart and it was very rural. The houses were actually set back about a quarter of a mile or more from Wildcat Canyon Road, which ran through Lakeside.
1: Kath, was there any indication of a quid pro quo? like something that Peter Chadwick got in exchange for disclosing this information about where his wife's body was?
0: No, there was nothing I read, nothing I saw, but you bring up an interesting point because in a 48 Hours episode in 2019, they actually said that Newport Beach police detectives got a tip That led them to the location, but were unwilling to discuss with 48 hours who called that tip in.
1: That is interesting because obviously the body in a murder case is critical. Right. And you're not as a defense attorney going to say, oh, by the way, let me raise my hand and show you where the body is unless something happens. Like perhaps they took the death penalty off the table or I don't know, life in prison, but nothing as far as you could see with what you read and and what you listened to. Correct? Correct. Correct. I thought it was interesting, like Matt Murphy is saying, the defense attorney called in the body location. You don't just do that out of the kindness of your heart.
0: You don't, but also because he was the prosecutor at the time, I kind he, of... He should have the he should have information. The information, right? Yeah, like I assume he is correct. Because the homes were so remote in Wildcat Canyon, they actually had to use dumpsters instead of trash cans because there wasn't regular trash pickup. And in fact, you could actually determine where each house's driveway was based on the dumpster that was set just a little bit back from the road. The detectives literally went from dumpster to dumpster to dumpster. And as one of the Newport Beach detectives approached a dumpster, he knew immediately it contained a dead body. The dumpster had a strong odor and a lot of flies circling over the lid. He pulled back the lid and saw that it was completely full. It contained the usual trash one would see, so he put gloves on and actually started moving the garbage bags aside to see what was at the bottom. He saw a patch of green fabric and knew it was the blanket described by Peter as having come from their bed. The detective called San Diego crime scene investigators. He knew he found QC Chadwick. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? In the dumpster, crime scene investigators also found QC's and her children's passports, her permanent residency card, and $10,000 cash, which was exactly what Peter told detectives Juan took from their safe the day he killed QC. Investigators believed that Peter had been driving around for hours and hours with QC's body in the back of his car and needed to find a place to dump it. While he was driving around San Diego, he believed this dumpster provided the perfect place. Now, Kathy, what's interesting is this was not the first time a body was found in a dumpster at the end of a house's driveway along the same road. Another body had been found in a dumpster not too far away just the year prior, but they were able to investigate the owners of that dumpster and they were able to exonerate them of having anything to do with that person's death. So after QC's body was found, detectives looked into the owners of this particular dumpster and had been able to clear them pretty quickly. Well, Kath, do you... Wait,
1: why... Why was there a what?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I'm assuming because this is such a rural road in San Diego and the dumpsters aren't anywhere near the houses, right? If the houses are set back a quarter of a mile or more from the road, then if somebody's driving along and goes, oh, I've got something I need to dump. No one's going to see them using this dumpster.
1: Do we have any idea, though, what like the crime was or what it was from?
0: Uh, No. But here's the other interesting thing, though, Kathy, is that they actually should not have been able to find QC's body at all. The police believe she was killed on Wednesday, October 10th, and that Peter had put her body in the dumpster sometime in the early morning hours of Thursday, October 11th. The dumpster pickups were Thursday mornings at 630 a.m., So the dumpster QC's body was in should have actually been emptied shortly after Peter made his 911 call, but it was not. So when the call came in leading to the body, this was also on a Thursday after the trash pickup. So now there have been two opportunities for the dumpster holding QC's body to have been emptied and taken away to a landfill. And on both of those Thursdays, QC's body was in the dumpster. That's crazy. Now, here's what happened. The owners of that residence, I guess, had been out of town for a few months and they had come back. But there was some sort of disagreement or snafu that they had with the Waste Disposal Service and the family refused to pay the bill. So while the family was not paying the bill, the Waste Disposal Service was not emptying the dumpster.
1: Thank God. Yes. Thank God. So it was actually just over a week that they find her body. But in that time, two trash pickups should have occurred. Correct. Crazy. Dr. Robert Stabley, Deputy San Diego County Medical Examiner, conducted QC Chadwick's autopsy. He determined that she had extensive wounds that he believed came from fighting for her life and had significant blunt force trauma to various parts of her body. She had been strangled and drowned, and Dr. Stabley concluded her actual cause of death was strangulation. Newport Beach Detective Sergeant Depwig also said Peter's explanation of what happened to QC was always problematic. His explanation was never consistent, and at times, it was bizarre. In their initial interviews with Peter, the only thing he remembered about Juan was his name and that he had dark hair and a crew cut. After further questioning, he then said that Juan was 5'10 or 11 in his late 30s and 40s, muscular, clean-shaven, with brown eyes, a thin nose, and wearing a long-sleeved black shirt with a low-collar, blue jeans, and white sneakers. Peter's story also had more than one version. Different than the initial version, Peter also told detectives that when he rushed upstairs and saw Juan strangling his wife, Juan sat on Peter's chest for a full five minutes so he could not attempt CPR on his wife. In another version, Juan forced Peter to disrobe after QC was dead. After he took off his clothes, Peter charged at Juan, but Juan grabbed his balls and squeezed them to subdue Peter. Which I actually think is funny. Nobody would admit to a ball squeezing and nobody would do a ball squeezing. And nobody would
0: admit to another man doing the ball squeezing. (laughs)
1: Totally. So during the junk grabbing portion of the interview... (laughs) Peter said he had contact with a California highway patrol officer on the 73 freeway in the late morning of October 10th, when he and Juan were driving back to his home so that Juan could paint the staircase. Peter told detectives that he pulled over on the side of the freeway to call QC and talk about her lunch plans. And while he was stopped, an officer pulled over to basically say, hey, you can't stop on the side of the road here. You got to move along. So the Newport Beach detectives were like, OK, we got to find this guy. Well, they're probably thinking whoever the officer was could confirm that Juan was in the car. I assume so, too. Or not. Right. So, Cap, these detectives actually find the CHP officer and he says he remembers pulling over a silver Lexus on the southbound 73 right before MacArthur Boulevard.
0: OK, so here's what's interesting. At the very beginning of this episode, we said we're returning to the destination of our very first episode a little over a year ago. True. What's also interesting is this is very close to the location where Denise Huber's car was found in our first episode. That's very true. The moral of the story is don't drive the 73 exactly. southbound. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm hearing.
1: <laughs> so this CHP officer said, yeah, I remember pulling in behind an SUV and I approached the passenger side. After telling the driver he could not stop on the side of the road, he made a note of the license plate. The officer said he also, as a standard police safety maneuver, scanned the passenger areas of the vehicle for occupants and did not see anyone else in the car besides the driver. And no one else saw Juan either. Not at the job site, not at the guard shack to their neighborhood, and not at the Arco gas station in San Diego where Peter made the 911 call. After their father's arrest, like Peter's oldest son, the two youngest boys were sent to boarding school, and all three boys were placed in protective custody. For the next couple of years, Peter was present for everything related to his case, attended scheduled meetings, stayed in contact with his lawyer, and followed the rules for visiting his sons. Peter also moved into his father's house in Santa Barbara and regularly made the three-hour drive to attend court hearings in Orange County.
0: According to a Newport Beach Police Department podcast, Orange County Prosecutor Matt Murphy said on Friday, January 16, 2015, he arrived for a scheduled court hearing on Peter Chadwick's case. This was more than two years and three months after Peter pleaded not guilty in the murder of his wife. Everyone was there, except Peter Chadwick. The judge issued a $250,000 bench warrant for Peter's arrest, but agreed to hold it until Peter's next hearing date that was scheduled in two weeks. If Peter appeared in court on that day, the judge would allow the hearing to proceed and withdraw the warrant. So two weeks later, on January 28th, everyone was in the courtroom again except Peter. Peter's attorney told the judge he had not been able to locate his client anywhere. The judge heard from the attorney that Peter was despondent and family members were concerned he would try to take his own life. At that point, the judge issued a new bench warrant The district attorney asked it to be increased to $10 million, but the judge only increased it to $1 million. The judge told the parties involved he did not want to revoke Peter's bail because it would harm the Chadwick's minor children. If there was a seizure of Peter's assets, it would deplete the estate and leave the boys without any financial support. With Peter's location unknown, the Newport Beach Police Department and the Orange County District Attorney's Office asked for assistance from the U.S. Marshals Service. The Marshall's U.S. Pacific Southwest Regional Fugitive Task Force learned Peter had emptied millions of dollars out of every bank account he had access to, including a family trust, and took out the maximum cash advance available on a number of credit cards. Investigators continued searching for a motive for QC's murder and the location of Peter Chadwick. The task force found some books at Peter's father's house where he was living that indicated he had been planning to leave for quite some time. The titles of some of the books they found were How to Change Your Identity, How to Live on the Run Successfully, and Surviving in Mexico. Investigators also learned that Peter had been making test travel trips to Pennsylvania and Washington and took another trip to Missouri. They speculated he was trying to figure out if he was under constant surveillance because his bail stipulations did not allow him to leave the state. But he was able to successfully take these trips without any contact by law enforcement or repercussions, and the marshals believed that was when Peter started to plan his escape.
1: QC adored her three sons and tried to put forth the appearance of a happy and cohesive family. However, once detectives scratched the surface, it became clear that there was trouble in paradise. QC's friends told investigators that they recalled her making passing comments to them about possibly getting divorced from Peter. She told them things weren't going well and he was not giving her any affection. She was worried that he was unfaithful to her. But QC told her friends that she had not left because she wanted to provide the best possible life for her boys. Sergeant Depwig said they confirmed that QC knew he was cheating because when they searched her closet, they found a note in her handwriting tucked among her clothes that was entitled From Pete's Computer. The note listed the last 35 searches Peter Chadwick made on his computer, and it included things like Chinese massage girl's escort, how to torture, how much does an abortion cost in California, and divorce in California. Detectives were able to confirm from interviews that Peter had been unfaithful to QC for quite some time. In September 2018, the U.S. Marshals Service added Peter Chadwick to their list of the 15 most wanted fugitives. Commander Bert Tapia of the U.S. Marshals Pacific Southwest Regional Fugitive Task Force And that is a damn mouthful. And I wonder what acronym (laughs) they use for that. Exactly. Said the US Marshals, along with our law enforcement partners, will leave no stone unturned until Chadwick is behind bars. It's not a matter of if we catch him. It's only a matter of when.
0: And we have always said this in the podcast. If the marshals are after you, like they mean business. Exactly. They're gonna get you. Just
1: walk out of your hiding place with your hands up. Right. (laughs) Biggest badasses in the world. Yeah, just stop. Totally. They also announced a reward of $100,000, 25 of which came from the Marshals Service and $75,000 from the city of Newport Beach and private donors. Due to Peter's extensive financial resources and his extensive travel overseas, law enforcement believed that Peter could be anywhere. The Newport Beach Police Department and the District Attorney's Office joined forces with the U.S. Marshal Service, Homeland Security, State Department, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and Interpol to capture him.
0: Dang. I know. If marshals isn't enough to stop you, this should be it. Exactly. That same month, so September of 2018, Newport Beach Police Department spokesperson Jennifer Manzella began hosting Countdown to Capture. So, Kath, Sergeant Depwig, who we've referenced earlier, was Mm -hmm. relatively new to the Newport Beach Police Department. He hadn't been there back in 2012 when Peter Chadwick was first arrested. So he actually went to Jennifer Manzella, who was the spokesperson, and said, hey, is there a better way for us to publicize this, kind of get it out to the public so that we can have people help us find Peter Chadwick? Very cool. Jennifer came up with Countdown to Capture, this new podcast. That's awesome. Of course, this was designed to spread this to people like everyone listening to us. Right. You know, the podcast generation, and as we know, it's worldwide. Right. And because Peter could be literally anywhere Anywhere. internationally, they were hoping that someone somewhere would remember having seen him or having interacted with him. So this podcast was only six episodes that was released over a period of two weeks It received hundreds of thousands of downloads over those two weeks. That's very cool. It charted on iTunes at number 24 in the U.S., and this is before Apple Podcasts obviously came about, and it also charted in Canada and the United Kingdom. So as a result, tips came in from all over the globe, from their law enforcement partners, but also from regular citizens. Now, the biggest investigative break came when the U.S. Marshals learned that Peter was still in touch with people he knew in the U.S. They knew he had received help, but did not know how. One of the tips that the marshals received enabled them to find out that he was receiving assistance from people close to his family. So not his actual family members, but of course, like you would help me, right? Right. right. I mean, Maybe.
1: You're... I mean, like, you know, it depends. <laughs> if I'm tired, I might not. Do if it's it. super early in the morning, the answer is hell no.
0: <laughs> but, but I wouldn't call super early either. <laughs> <laughs> so once they found out, Kath, who Peter was receiving help from, and this was financial help. They actually stopped this person from sending money and cut Peter off at the source. Oh, that's awesome.
1: You know, they called the bank and we're like, yo, these wire transfers end them, stat.
0: Exactly. <laughs> or you're going to deal with us, mofos. exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm sure it was exactly like that. <laughs> I
0: think that's a quote, actually. <laughs> and can I bring up the fact that when we talked about him escaping, we... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <sighs> I say dip one
1: time in my you life it and it's all over. Three episodes <laughs> a row and then I took it over for you.
0: But anyway, U.S. Marshal David Singer said that he believed that all of the media attention, the podcasts, the news shows, the true crime documentaries, and now cutting him off at the source, had actually put a lot of pressure on Peter Chadwick. And he said when fugitives feel pressure, they have to keep moving and spend more money and use different IDs. And that's when they start making mistakes, when they have to keep looking over their shoulder. So as I said, marshals cut off Peter's financial contact. Right. Peter made a call to these family friends who were helping him. Oh, And the marshals were able to trace Peter's exact location.
1: Thank you very kindly, Peter. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So because of this, Peter Chadwick was located in Mexico on the night of Sunday, August 4th, 2019, and taken into custody by the Mexican federal police, otherwise known as the
1: federales.
0: They got Peter Chadwick. He was flown to California and arrived at Los Angeles International Airport the next morning at 10 a.m., where the U.S. Marshals took him into custody.
1: Later that day, U.S. Marshal David Singer, Orange County District Attorney Todd Spitzer, and Newport Beach Police Chief John Lewis held a press conference where Chief Lewis announced Peter Chadwick was arrested just outside of the city of Puebla, Mexico, which is about an hour south of Mexico City. Peter had been living in an apartment next to a country club in a small village. The population of the village consisted largely of expatriates who were Caucasian and Asian. Peter had slightly changed his appearance. Now he had darker hair and a goatee. Unsurprisingly, when he appeared in court two days later, which was August 7th, 2019, the judge denied bail.
0: About freaking time. Exactly.
1: Boom. (laughs) Based on what investigators learn, they believe he was hiding in Mexico since his disappearance, traveling back and forth across the country and never staying in one place too long. That's exhausting, though. I can't... I can't imagine. Like, I can't
0: imagine being on the run. For, I mean, he was gone for years. Like, yeah. Almost five years yeah. he was gone. Yeah. Like, I think about going to Europe and having to move places every couple of days. It's just exhausting. <laughs> and I'm not running from anyone. No problem, Petunia. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> it's harder because I've got a suitcase. <laughs> exactly.
1: You're like, I don't have wheels on my rolling suitcase. <laughs> I have to drag it. <laughs> So they believe that when he fled the U.S., he had large amounts of cash on him and spent a lot of money staying in five-star hotels and high-end resorts initially. He eventually had to change that lifestyle because, of course, Mexico began requiring visitors to show passports when they checked into these hotels. So originally, when he started this out, if you went to like a fancy resort in Mexico, they did not require ID, but they later changed their policies. So he never got a fake passport after surrendering his real passports as part of his bail in 2012. So after that, he began staying at the motels and hostels that would just simply accept him if he had cash.
0: I can't even imagine him with how pretentious and douchey he seems like. Right. That he would actually stay in a hostel. Like that must have been torture for him.
1: Desperate times call for desperate measures. Very
0: true. Now, Kathy, here's the other thing that I thought was funny. They found Peter with a number of fake IDs under a number of different aliases. But one of them that they found showed that he was a research analyst for the U.S. government agency called S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> Do you
1: recognize the name? I feel like that's like a fake name from something. It's a, movie. a Marvel
0: TV show. Oh, God. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's, it's in the Marvel movies, but there was a TV show called Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, That's so funny. And investigators believed that he was using that ID that showed him as a research analyst to make people believe that he was an undercover American spy.
1: I totally would have been that person. I would have been like, oh, my God, you work for the government?
0: Now, also, when Peter was in Mexico, authorities discovered that he had actually done some small jobs on the side, like teaching conversational English, working in kitchens and bussing tables.
1: Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Exactly. On February 9, 2022, 58 year old Peter Chadwick pleaded guilty to second degree murder and was sentenced to 15 years to life in prison. Matt Murphy, the former Orange County prosecutor who is now an ABC News contributor, said under California law, Peter will have to serve a minimum of 12 years in California state prison before he is eligible to apply for parole. Now, Kath, I found this very interesting. So second degree murder is typically what's used when people murder somebody in the heat of the moment. Like a domestic violence situation is very common, as was probably this situation. But it's when you're intending to do these malicious acts, but you're not actually premeditatively planning to kill somebody. Okay. So somewhere between the initial charge in 2012 and this plea deal in 2022, there had to be some type of communication between the defense and the prosecution. And by the way, he has now a new defense attorney that showed it wasn't a premeditated murder.
0: But also remember that he was caught in August of 2019, but this plea deal did not happen until February of 2022. Right. Two and a half years of negotiation. There has to be some type of... Tit for tat. Well, like... Quid an... pro quo. <laughs> scratch my back, I'll scratch yours.
1: <laughs> Keep going, I like him. But there had to be some moment where his defense attorney was like, hey, here's what happened. And this is what we're going to say at trial. And, and amounted to a murder two, not a murder one. But in the court documents for his guilty plea, it says the following. This is typewritten. It says, I offer the following facts as the basis for my guilty plea in the county of Orange, California on, and now the following is handwritten, October 10th, 2012, I willfully and unlawfully killed my wife, Quee Chu Chadwick, by strangling her without lawful excuse or justification. I committed this act with malice aforethought, but not premeditation. I then disposed of her body in a dumpster and fled the country while on bail.
0: It's interesting he does make that distinction, as you just said, between malice aforethought, but not premeditation. Correct. And what he's
1: saying is there was no plan. It just happened. I was malicious. I had ill intentions, but it wasn't a plan. But I could not find and I don't believe you can find, but correct me if I'm wrong, anything showing what happened in that bathroom, what was being said, what led to the confrontation. You know, I mean, we don't know what precipitated his
0: attack. We don't. And all I read, Kath, and and you know this because I'm sure it's what you saw as well, is that they were having an argument. Right.
1: Orange County District Attorney Todd Spitzer said, In making the decision to accept a guilty plea, we carefully considered the wishes of QC's family, especially her sons who have already suffered the loss, not only of their mother, but also of their father at such a young age. In written statements read to the court, QC's brother and sister described her as a chatty, inquisitive, and compassionate woman who was devoted to her family. Her older sister wrote... It is incomprehensible how anyone could do such a thing to another human being, let alone his wife and the mother of three young children. I will never understand how after hurting her, Peter was so barbarically able to dump her body as if she was a worthless piece of trash. The community of Newport Beach was devastated and broken-hearted at Kui Chu's death, and continue to keep the three boys to whom she was so devoted in their thoughts and prayers. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening.
0: If you liked us, and hopefully you did if you stayed this long, exactly, tell a friend, and follow us on our social media channels. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Destinations Podcast.